Jonah, and I'm going to read chapters 3 and 4 again, two quite short chapters. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Amen. That is the word of the Lord. Let's come before the Lord then in prayer.
prayer, seeking his face together. Father, we would again give you praise and thanks for the blessings that you've heaped upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we are richly blessed, blessed uh, constantly, blessed every day, uh, blessed with a multitude of blessings. Father, they are innumerable, uh, more than the hairs of our head. How gracious you have been to us. We thank you that we can come before you without confidence that you are our God, you love us, you are our heavenly Father, and there is no condemnation against us, we who are in Christ Jesus. So again, we thank you, Father, and pray for our spiritual growth, pray for our development, that we might uh, truly grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We might be those who are uh, filled with gratitude and praise. So uh, thankful to you for the many blessings that are ours uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for ourselves, Father, that you would continue to bless us, bless us as a church family. We pray for continuing unity. We pray, Father, for that love uh, one to the other, such a love that would uh, be a testimony to others, that they would see that we are your disciples because of the love we have uh, one to the other. Undertake for those then that are not with us uh, this evening. Some may be sick, some away uh, various reasons, not able to gather, but we pray your blessing upon the, uh, the whole uh, church family. We also think, Father, too, of some of our uh, missionary interests. We think tonight, particularly, and this week, of the uh, Cary International uh, Pastors as a training program. Thank you for uh, the many classes that are held in different parts of the uh, world. Uh, for those that go forth, uh, in person to teach. Think of Tim Beavis and uh, Brother Paul that you'd uh, bless their labors, even Bob Penhero and uh, some of them are by uh, Zoom also, Father. But we thank you that the word uh, goes forth to these uh, groups of Christian leaders and we pray it might be a great blessing and encouragement to them. They might be well grounded in the word of God. They might be taught sound theology and they might preach that same sound theology and be greatly used of yourself in their own churches and perhaps to start uh, plant new churches to be pleased to bless uh, your work. He particularly asked for prayer for uh, the Christians in Myanmar, uh, to Burma. We pray our Father that you would uh, bless. We're not sure whether they are holding uh, meetings there. Presumably you have to be by Zoom, but we pray that you'd uh, bless uh, the Christian leaders there and despite the awful uh, persecution and the uh, dreadful situation, you would grant, Father, that through it all uh, the gospel would be proclaimed, the gospel would spread, your kingdom would uh, grow in that uh, needy uh, country, and we pray, Father, that you'll work amongst your people uh, who are uh, laboring there. Think again of uh, the situation in Cuba, you'll bless your servants there, the Philippines. Father, we thank you for the way the work of God does go on, conferences that are held and uh, much blessing amongst uh, pastors and Christian leaders and many other parts of the world too. We ask your uh, richest blessing for on their efforts to uh, teach the word of God, to spread uh, the gospel and uh, see people truly grounded in the uh, the, the doctrines of your word. So uh, bless their efforts, uh, we do pray. We pray 
Father, again for the Easter services. We thank you for the invitations that will be mailed out uh, this week, and we pray you might use them, and some given out personally in uh, different uh, areas. But we pray, our Father, that you would constrain some to, to read them carefully, to respond, and uh, to come out to be under the sound of the word. Long to see conversions, Father, through the preaching of your word, both on Good Friday and on Sunday. Uh, pray that you'd meet with us and uh, grant, Father, even those in our own midst who come out uh, on occasions that you would challenge them, convict them, Father, and bring them to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of those even among us tonight, some of the children who do not have that uh, saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, awaken them. May they uh, be constrained to look at their own hearts to see where they really stand in relation to you and recognize they need uh, to be born again, need to be converted. And Father, pray that your spirit would uh, even take the word tonight and apply it uh, to them. So be pleased to uh, bless, uh, we pray. Pray for the word, Father, where it is preached this day uh, across the land of Canada and around the world. We thank you that there are uh, a host of your servants who proclaim the word of God. A great majority of them we do not know, but Father, we know uh, you have your servants and you will uh, bless the gospel. You will extend your kingdom and bring glory uh, to your name. We do especially pray for our own nation, Father. We see a, a great need of the Spirit of God to move, need of revival, a need of a, a spiritual quickening. We need it here, Father. We need it personally. We need it as a church. And whilst we are grateful for those mercy drops, Father, we long for those showers of blessing. So do be pleased to visit our nation, we pray. Uh, be gracious to our leaders and save them. And uh, Father, grant that there will be more freedom in proclaiming the word of God and that Christian standards will be held high and would affect even the, uh, the laws that are passed. So be pleased to bless uh, your word. Bless us even here uh, tonight, Father, as we uh, conclude our series on uh, Jonah. Be pleased to bless, uh, glorify our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. And before the message, we will sing 300. 19, breathe on me, breath of God. Prayer, of course, to the Holy Spirit to come to us. Fill me with life anew, that I may love what you do love, and do what you would do. 319. Stand to sing.
Turn with me then to the book of Jonah. Jonah went to Nineveh to preach God's message to them. We said last week that's somewhat of an oversimplification. He needed a bit of arm twisting to, uh, to go there. Uh, he was reluctant. In fact, <laughs> putting it mildly, he ran the other way. Uh, got himself uh, on a boat uh, to go to Tarshish, which as far as we know was in uh, Spain. And of course the Lord uh, dealt with him by sending the storm, caused the, uh, the lot to fall uh, upon him. And then he was thrown overboard, uh, almost drowned, swallowed by the fish, uh, spat out on the beach again, and uh, received the second commission to go to Nineveh, same as the first uh, commission. Uh, his message seemed rather negative, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And yet it was a message that had hope. You see, if there was no hope... God didn't need to send Jonah or anyone else to them. Uh, when you think of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and other cities of the plain, uh, there's no indication that God sent Abraham uh, to warn them, to plead with them, to turn. didn't send Lot. Uh, he just brought Lot and his family out uh, from those uh, cities. So if the Lord had just wanted to destroy Nineveh, he could have done it. Uh, directly, but the very fact that Jonah went in person and pleaded, even though the initial message was negative, uh, there was hope. There was a way out. And the people of Nineveh found it by God's grace. Uh, they repented. They believed the message that God preached uh, to them. They fasted. They put on sackcloth. Uh, they prayed. They turned from their evil ways uh, and God had mercy upon them. Uh, he spared them. Uh, they were converted. Certainly the vast majority there. And Jesus said the men of Nineveh repented. So we have the uh, authorization, the backing of Jesus' statements to be assured that there was an amazing work of grace uh, in the city of uh, Nineveh. As we mentioned before, Nineveh was, the, by all accounts, the largest city in the world uh, at that uh, time. As we said last week, uh, is that response that every preacher dreams of. And you would think that Jonah was overjoyed to see all these tens of thousands of people turning to the Lord. But no, he was angry. He was angry. Displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Uh, the reason, it seems, that he didn't want the Gentiles to receive God's blessings. The Jews themselves might uh, lose out. He knew God was a God of compassion, uh, of grace, of kindness. And uh, he feared that if Nineveh turned to the Lord, uh, it might in a negative way uh, impact the Jews. And the Lord asked Jonah a question in verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? Jonah said he was angry enough to die because the Ninevites had repented. Do you do well to be angry? What did Jonah say? No answer. <laughs> Silence uh, there. But God hasn't finished with Jonah. 
God is compassionate not only to a, a wicked Gentile city, but to a rebellious prophet. And uh, he begins to deal uh, with Jonah. How does the Lord deal with Jonah? Well, he lets Jonah make the first move. Uh, Jonah goes east of the uh, city uh, and uh, builds himself a booth. Presumably there was an elevated spot where he could look over the uh, city and watch it and see what was going to happen uh, there. And he, uh, there was uh, obviously no trees there, so he, uh, he builds a shelter uh, to give him shade and seclusion, and uh, he waits. He waits, watching over the uh, city there probably prepared to wait for 40 days, the time that he said God would judge them. Well, you might say, well, didn't Jonah know that God was going to spare Nineveh? Clearly something has happened, and probably by uh, dream or vision, God told him he was going to. And anyway, he uh, knew the character uh, of God as he spells it out in these early uh, verses uh, there, you're slow to anger, you're merciful, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from uh, disaster. But I suppose he hopes against hope that something might happen to change God's mind. Uh, he hopes perhaps their repentance will be a, a seven-day wonder uh, and they would backslide uh, into their sin again and, and God would judge them and uh, bring that disaster that was uh, threatened. But whatever he hopes, uh, he sits he waits and he watches to see what is going to happen. Now we saw Jonah as a type of Christ. That's made clear in Matthew 12, 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jonah was a type of Christ in the sense that he virtually died. And when he was thrown overboard, the only conclusion the sailors could make, he's gone. Uh, he's going to drown. And he was thrown over, and in chapter 2, it seems he was close to uh, drowning. There are some commentators feel that he did drown, was raised from the dead. That's not uh, told us, but he was virtually dead. As good as dead, rose from the dead, uh, and went to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Ninevites. And of course, in that same way, uh, Jonah was a type of Jesus who did die without question, rose from the dead and went with the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, so you see the, uh, the, the character of uh, the, the, uh, the nature of it, Jonah being uh, a type. But in his character, very unlike the Lord. Now you get that and sometimes you need to, to be careful when you're reading your Bibles about that. Uh, in terms of types. For example, the nation of Israel was clearly a type of the church. Uh, they were brought out of Egypt uh, by the blood of the Passover lamb. And yet, in reality, the nation of Israel were a bunch of rebels, weren't they? Most of them perished in the wilderness through their unbelief. Uh, 
Uh, and in the same sense, uh, Jonah was a, was a type of Christ and yet in character very unlike the Lord. You might think of people like Samson. I remember Brian Robinson once preaching a, a message on Samson at the uh, Pastors' Fellowship. Uh, there are many ways in which Samson is a type of Christ. He slew more in his death than in his life. Uh, but when you think of the character of, of Samson and his lifestyle, uh, you need to make that distinction between the typology and the reality of the characters of the people. So I say that in his character, very unlike the Lord. Compare Jonah looking over Nineveh with Jesus looking over Jerusalem. Uh, read that in Luke 19, 41. Uh, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. What a, a contrast between Jonah and uh, Jesus. Jonah looked over a repentant city and longed for its destruction. Jesus looked over an unrepentant city but longed for its salvation. And uh, he knew that Jerusalem wouldn't repent, would be destroyed. Uh, it filled his heart with sorrow. He wept over Jerusalem. So I say, what a striking contrast between Jonah and uh, Jesus uh, here. Jonah knew the Ninevites uh, wouldn't be destroyed. He hoped they might, but really in his heart he knew they wouldn't because God had told him that. He was sad about it. I say you couldn't have a greater uh, contrast. How would we apply that to ourselves? We don't really have many elevated sites in uh, Burlington, do we? Uh, perhaps more in Ancaster, but supposing you were at the top floor of a, a large apartment or condo building looking out of most of uh, Burlington or Ancaster, Hamilton there, uh, what would we feel? Uh, you sometimes look there, you go at the top of the CN Tower, you see pretty well all of Toronto laid out before you think of the tens of thousands or millions of people uh, that are there and most of them have no interest in the gospel. Uh, and you feel helpless, don't you? What can I do? Just one person, what can I do uh, to change things around? Uh, what's all important is attitude, isn't it? Our attitude. Do we look upon them with compassion? Do we long for the conversion of those around us? Do we pray for the conversion of those around us? Do we try and make at least some attempt to reach those who are around us. Uh, our attitude is important. Are we like Jesus or like Jonah? Now the Lord begins to deal with Jonah. He dealt with him in dramatic fashion, uh, with the storm and the, the lot and the fish and so on. Uh, now he deals with him more gently but still firmly. 
However Jonah's shelter was constructed, the shade was limited. So the Lord made a vine. He made this plant that grew up uh, to give more shade. Some tropical goods uh, grow at incredible speeds, but this seems to be a miraculous thing, doesn't it? Uh, The Lord provided this shade uh, for him. It's interesting when he does in verse 6, it's the only time in the, the book where the Lord's name is given as the Lord God, Yahweh uh, Elohim. Uh, Yahweh, of course, the covenant-keeping God, covenant-giving God, and uh, Elohim, really the, the God of uh, creative power. So the Lord causes this vine to grow up. And, and Jonah's happy. We saw that last week. Uh, very happy. Uh, exceedingly glad we have in the ESV. Uh, the only time that Jonah was happy, as recorded in this uh, book, uh, he certainly wasn't happy about the commandment to go to Nineveh originally. He obviously wasn't happy about the storm and what happened and being thrown uh, into the sea. And he was most unhappy about Nineveh's repentance. But he was happy about this plant that gave him shade. Now there's nothing wrong with being happy about the things of this life. Uh, Many of you know I I love God's creation. I love birds in particular. Uh, I love classical music. I love to see the waves rolling in uh, behind our apartment when there's a strong wind or a thunderstorm there. I, I love those kind of things. Nothing wrong with that, but it's tragic if the only things that make us happy are the things of this life. We were talking this morning about what makes us blessed, makes, makes us happy, and with many it's uh, the things of this life, isn't it? Their wealth, their fame, uh, so on. I say it's tragic if those are the only things that make us happy. It was tragic that the vine made Jonah happy, but the repentance of the city didn't make him happy. Do we find more happiness in material things than in the blessings of salvation? Do we find more happiness in a new car than in fellowship with the Lord? Would we rejoice more in a a pay raise than the privilege of access to God as our Heavenly Father? We need to make sure we get our priorities right don't we? I say nothing wrong with rejoicing, being happy with the things in this life, but we need to put them in perspective. Uh, the things that really make us blessed, uh, the knowledge of forgiveness of sins, of salvation, of Jesus as our Savior, uh, and so on. Well, Jonah's happiness was short-lived. God provided a worm to destroy the vine. With the stem eaten, it would soon uh, wither away in the heat, uh, and whatever greenery Jonah had originally uh, made in his uh, booth, uh, it would soon wither uh, in the hot sun. Virtually no shade. And then the Lord sent uh, a scorching east wind. Uh, and the wind and the heat, I suppose, caused heat stroke. And he felt ill, so ill he wanted to die. It's uh, interesting. There are four things God is said to have appointed In the book of Jonah, the fish, the vine, the worm, and the wind. And of course, he sent the storm. It said he hurled the storm, certainly overruled with the 
casting of the lots to fall upon uh, Jonah. The book is full of divine activity, isn't it? You read through it. The Lord is active uh, at every stage through this uh, book. Um, We may not see miraculous activity in the same way that Jonah did, but the evidence of divine activity is all around us. We've got eyes to see. I'm saying creation is one thing. We uh, just rejoice uh, on a clear night if you can get away from all the lights and see the stars. Uh, beautiful, isn't it? God's activity uh, in that way. Uh, God's activity in uh, nature. God's activity in our own lives. In the details, how he works out. And we, we see little things there we perhaps take for granted, but we realize this is the hand of the Lord. And uh, we should recognize that. We should be so grateful for the Lord's working in our lives. Our lives are full of divine activity. Nothing happens by chance. Uh, I hope we know that. I hope we digest that. Nothing happens by chance. There is no such thing as luck for the believer. Everything is by God's divine providence from the smallest details of life uh, to the biggest events uh, of life. Uh, We see and need to see uh, divine uh, activity. And a couple of lessons coming out of this uh, for us. We do need to see God's hand in all circumstances. We tend to discriminate like Jonah uh, he was glad of the vine, but uh, angry about the worm. Well, God sent the worm as well as the vine, didn't he? Uh, he should have recognized both as coming from the hand uh, of God. We are happy with a promotion, but angry, perhaps devastated if we lose our jobs. Uh, but both are in the hands of God. We have a sovereign and a loving God. Paul knew what it was to have plenty, but also to be in dire straits. Sometimes he enjoyed freedom, sometimes prison. But God sent all circumstances. And he says in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And God gives grace to serve him, to work for him, even in difficult circumstances. But we need to see that God does send tough times as well as happy times and easy times. And that's an important lesson to learn. And the second lesson, which is closely related to it, uh, everything is for our good. We all know Romans 8.28. We probably quote it regularly, but do we really believe it? Are we convinced when we go through tough times that God is working all things out for our good? All things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to his purpose. Do we accept the hard things in life as coming from the Lord as well as the good things? Sickness as well as health. Poverty as well as riches. Do you see all things 
as being for your good. Now you may say, well, if my problems came from God, that would be okay, but they come from a bad employer, an unpleasant neighbor, uh, maybe a mean husband. Uh, Their uh, poor sufferings came as a result of persecuting Jews and unprincipled Romans, but he recognized the hand of God in both, saw the hand of God in everything in his life. Unless we see God as the first an underlying cause of all circumstances will be very frustrated. Uh, you know, bad things happen to us, things we really do not want to happen. Uh, we can get very frustrated, can't we? Uh, if you think of examples among us, uh, there we think of the uh, uh, days, how blessed they've been to have three healthy boys. Uh, but supposing one had not been a healthy I'm sure they recognize they need to accept that. Also as coming from the hand of God. Whatever it is, we need to see the hand of a God who is also our loving Heavenly Father. Those things are for our good and we need to recognize that. Well, Jonah was angry because the vine withered. Did he have any right to that? We can perhaps understand his Uh, discomfort, Uh, but God drove home this lesson. The vine was like Nineveh. Jonah didn't create the vine, but he was upset when it perished. How much more should God be concerned about Nineveh if it perished? He created it, and even though it was, before the repentance, a wicked city, a cruel city, we mentioned some of the cruelties of the uh, Assyrians. Nevertheless, they were made in the image of God, a marred image, but still made in the image of God. And uh, God was concerned. If they had not repented, God uh, would have destroyed it. He would, but he would have been filled with grief. Remember, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Uh, he's just. He must punish sin, but again, as we saw last week, it's his strange work to punish sin. He has no pleasure in such tasks. Jonah was filled with grief over a plant that perished, but no concern at all about thousands, tens of thousands living in Nineveh. There's some debate about the 120,000, whether that was the population of Nineveh or it was the number of children, the way it's put do not know their right hand from their left. We don't know. But it was a big city. Say the largest city in the world. Huge population. And by ancient standards, certainly uh, a great uh, city. Souls that can never die. Shouldn't God be concerned about them? Shouldn't Jonah be concerned about them? And the chapter ends there. You turn your page, chapter 5, but it's not there, is it? (laughs) We would expect some continuation. Did Jonah learn his lesson? Uh, We hope so. We can't be sure of that. Someone asked me last week, uh, where's Jonah now? Is he in heaven or hell? I said, well, I hope he's in heaven, but we must remember that prophets like Balaam gave some amazing prophecies regarding Israel, and yet he's held up as an example of apostasy and wickedness. 
so God can use unconverted prophets, certainly did on occasions in the Old Testament, but uh, hopefully uh, Jonah did uh, know the Lord. There's another record of him prophesying uh, on another occasion in Kings, uh, but hopefully he learned his lesson. But have we learned the lesson that's given to us in this book? God is concerned about sinners. Are we? It's amazing this statement, isn't it? He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And that's regarding the heathen. Studied that some weeks ago with Jake uh, about God's love. Yes, there is an electing love of God, but there is also a love of God uh, for all people. Uh, God uh, sends his reign upon the just and the unjust. Uh, He's kind uh, to the wicked as well as to the uh, righteous. And God is certainly concerned about the sinners in Nineveh. I say, are we concerned not about the sinners in Nineveh, but the sinners in uh, Burlington, Lancaster, Hamilton? Has the Lord given us a concern for those around us? We have a Savior who wept over Jerusalem. We have a God with a heart of compassion over the lost. And surely we should feel a deep concern for the multitude around us, those who are lost, those who are bound for hell apart from Christ. I know we feel helpless, so little we can do, but we should at least be concerned, have a heart of compassion toward them, pray for them that God might work and bring many uh, to himself. He sent his son to die for sinners around us. He now pleads with them to repent. And we need to be his messengers. And we can be. Not as preachers, all of us, but as witnesses. By life and by word, we can be messengers to those around us of the grace of God, of the offer of salvation, that need to turn uh, to him. May God give us the compassion that Jonah lacked, but that God wonderfully demonstrated and his son so wonderfully shows also. If there are some here who have not yet committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know you need to do that. Recognize the love and compassion of God. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you salvation. He offers you everlasting life to turn to his Son, to the Lord Jesus Christ. May we have the joy seeing many of our children and others in our congregation turning to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this book, we call them the minor prophets, but what powerful lessons we have, very major truths uh, in this book of Jonah. And we pray, Father, as perhaps the greatest lesson we see, your great compassion towards sinners, uh, the offer you give to those who are wicked, carrying on in their sins. There may be a warning, but there's also the offer of salvation to those who would turn from their sins. Oh, Father, we thank you that you're still such a God. And we pray, Father, that we would have that same 
attitude ourselves, the same love for sinners, the same concern for those who are lost and on their way to hell. We pray, our Father, you give us grace and opportunity to share the gospel with others, to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and bring that offer of salvation uh, to as many as we are able. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.